Good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. My name is Aaron Lee, Pastor. I get to continue this series on today with you, and I'm grateful to have you with us. And then um, also, I just want to remind you, we're going to have our potluck after the service. So whether or not you brought something or anything, you're welcome to stay. But after we're done, we'll clear all of the chairs out the middle, set up the tables, and, and it'll be great. And then about noon, we'll start our annual meeting for our members. It'll be part of that. And we'll be sharing, again, our, our uh, seven-year vision as well as a recap of what happened last year as we have a lot of things to thank God for, which is great. So let's get into this series of Powerful Faith. It's what it's been all about as we've been going through this scripture. We've been uh, looking at the life of Abraham and uh, a man of great faith and looking at what's the secret to powerful faith. I mean, a lot of people have faith, but oftentimes we don't see that faith do anything. Right? Uh, and uh, there is a difference between just faith and a faith that moves mountains. And so uh, we really want to know what is it that God looks for? Where is powerful faith? Where does it reside? And we started the series off a couple weeks ago, if you remember, uh, what are the prerequisites of powerful faith? And the first thing we recognize is that powerful faith always begins by hearing from God. That God isn't really so interested in us telling Him what we want Him to do. We want to hear from God what he wants us to do. And that's where powerful faith begins. Not to say, God, bless my plans, but God, let me hear your plans so I can be a blessing to what you're about. And when we start doing that is when we get to start seeing God at work in our lives. And as we hear from God, the very first thing, then we have to trust him that he has the power to do what only God can do. So that oftentimes when God calls us to things, he calls us to the wildly improbable and sometimes the downright impossible. And when God calls us to these things, we need to trust Him enough to believe that God can do the impossible. And as we trust, an expression of that is then we have to act. There is no such thing anywhere in all of Scripture or in life where God has moved in a powerful way through His people when His people didn't do something, didn't obey, didn't take steps of faithfulness. And so we have to start by hearing. And trusting Him. And acting according to how He's directing us. And then last week we talked about how does that faith last for the long haul? And we looked at Abraham's life, how he waited for all of those years to have that son Isaac. When it became more and more impossible over time. And we realized that there's a difference between having faith that gets us going and a faith that allows us to cross the finish line. And really, the most important steps in a race are the ones that get you across the finish line, right? And we see so many times in Scripture examples of people who started out with great faith only to blow it at the end. Like the people you're reading about this week as we read through Scripture to year, we're reading about the Exodus and, and the people of Moses' time. With great faith, they got to walk through the Red Sea. That took faith. Great faith, they got to stand before the, the, the mountain and they saw the tablets took faith. With great faith, they walked right up to the promised land. But their faith didn't see him across it. They didn't get to enjoy the promise. Or the rich young ruler who got so close, almost an apostle. His faith carried him right to, right to Jesus. To an invitation and he didn't have the faith to just accept it. We don't want to just have faith. We want to have the kind of faith that endures. 
And so we saw on that in the life of Abraham and, and through all of these other wonderful examples of faithful people in Scripture, that, that powerful faith has to endure. And there's some things that are there. And the first one is that the powerful faith has to be patient. That God's timing is not our timing, but His timing is perfect. That we have to become accustomed to trusting God's timing as much as we trust His power. And even though there are times where it may feel like God is silent or not coming through, powerful faith needs to have that patience to wait upon the Lord. And as we do, then we allow His promise to come through in His time, which means that enduring faith again has then its dependent upon God. It resists the urge to have an Ishmael, to take things into our own hands and to solve God's problems our way. <laughs> so that way His promises will be fulfilled in our time. To recognize when God calls us to something huge, He's calling us to something bigger than us so that He can do it. So He can work with us. That's the partnership. And so whenever God calls us to something, we need to depend upon Him. Which is not comfortable for us as humans, is it? We like control a lot. But the best possible place you can be is in the will of God and having Him in control of our lives. For that's where we see God really work in power in this world. And I don't know if you've paid attention much to the news and all the stuff that's out there, but people running things, we don't do a great job. But God does an amazing job. So we need to trust Him, depend upon Him. But as we depend upon Him, we also recognize that we're not perfect. And time is that solvent. It kind of takes away the power of our faith after a while. And so we need to be reminded of those promises. We need to have each other encourage one another to say, no, God is real and he's good and we can wait upon him and we can serve him and we can be faithful to him until we see his word fulfilled, which is why we come together. But when we get off track, and sometimes we do, and all of those who came before us, the great pillars of faith, none of them walked it perfectly. And so we have to have the attitude of repentance. That when we've taken matters into our own hands, when we've created our Ishmaels, that when God comes back and reminds us of his promise and his plan for us, that we have the kind of heart that says, yes, Lord, I will respond. I'll get up today and I'll get back on track. Now, those are the first two areas of powerful faith, of how faith, the prerequisites and how it endures. And this morning, we're going to talk about this third aspect of it is how does it work? What activates this kind of faith, the power of faith in our life? As we're going to go through another story of Abraham's life, which I think you'll find surprisingly applicable to us. Before we do that, however, of course, we want to remind ourselves of our memory verse for this series, Matthew 17, 20, where Jesus came and he, he told us, he says, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. What a powerful passage that is. 
So before we get into it, if you wouldn't mind, just, uh, just say it along with me. Here you go. Three, two, one. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 17, 20. Oh, it sounds so good. Again, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 17, 20. And one last time to test ourselves. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 17, 20. Now, isn't that awesome that Jesus gave us this promise? Probably one of the most misunderstood promises in Scripture. Some people misapply that and just go walking around telling mountains to move, and then they don't. Right? Me, that's what I started out with. And then I realized I had to start by listening to God. If God told me to move Long's Peak, Long's Peak would move. Right? Nothing is impossible. The question is, uh, am I listening to God? Right? Because he's going to make his will possible. But uh, this week, as you, as you meditate on that uh, verse, we have a tool for you. It's on this connection card. It's a memory verse. I encourage you to take that off and put it in your pocket, your, your wall, your purse, wherever you're going to see it. But as you go through it this week and as you read through that, there's a portion of it I want you to be thinking about, and that's the mustard seed. And I think that's the part that oftentimes we get hung up on and we don't, we don't really get. The idea that God can do stuff or there's power to move stuff, it makes us feel in control, Right? Nothing will be impossible for you. But Jesus is focusing on not how much faith is required, not how much power that we can wield, but how little faith is required. Truly, I tell you, you have faith as small as a mustard seed. Right? And Jesus, whenever he talked about mustard seed, it was this tiniest, littlest, most infinitesimal amount. It's just tiny, tiny. Hardly even visible. And why is it that mustard seed faith can move mountains? Because faith doesn't move mountains. That's ridiculous. Who moves mountains? God. God moves mountains. That's the power of true faith. It's not so much of, of you know, getting up inside yourself saying, oh, I believe enough, I believe enough, I believe enough, and then God's finally going to work. No, if you are in God's will, God will work. Even if you have a mustard seed side of faith, nothing's impossible. So we could be like the man who came to Jesus for a healing, said, I believe, help me believe. But don't let for a minute yourself or the devil or anybody else talk you out of saying that God can't use me because I, I, I sometimes struggle. I sometimes struggle with doubt. I sometimes struggle with knowing would God use a person like me, mustard seed. Just do you have enough to trust that he can work? Are you listening to him? Even if it sounds impossible or ridiculous or crazy or so hard, can you trust him? Do you have just enough faith to take that step? Just a mustard seed to say, God, I'm going to trust you in this. You will begin to see mountains move. And with that, we get to see how uh, Abraham handled, I think, one of the most difficult mountains of all of Scripture today. And that's in uh, Genesis chapter 22. And if you have your Bibles, I'd appreciate it if you turn them with there. With me, it's going to be on page 14 if you're using one of our Bibles. And if you forgot your Bible today or need one, we've got plenty in the back by the sound booth. You can help yourself to those. And if you need one, just keep it. It'll be our gift to you. 
Now, as you turn there, in Genesis chapter 22, we find Abraham, ripe old age. He's super duper old now. He's like 113 or something. He's waited all this time to have Isaac. 25 years to have this child of promise. He left everything, everything that of his comfort and his hometown, everything that he had, packed it up, lived as a nomad, trusted God, took on a whole new name, was circumcised, which took some level of faith. All of these things before God finally gave him this child of promise, he finally has Isaac. Isaac's there. He can see God's faithfulness before him. Isaac's growing up before him. And he sees the promise. Everything that Abraham did in his life came up to this moment. He got to see it finally. I mean, there was a lot riding on this boy. All of, all of the promises God gave to Abraham rested in Isaac. That he was going to have this land. That he was going to have lots of grandkids. And so it seems strange to us when we read in verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. That is hard for us to really wrap our minds around exactly how difficult this was, but I think we at least have some concept. Everything you've trusted me for, everything, I want you to throw away. And the fact that it's not just a sacrifice, that it's a burnt offering. There's one thing about believing that God can raise bodies and do like a Lazarus thing. That's a whole other thing to say, oh, I'm going to not just kill my son, but we're going to burn him. There's not going to be a body to raise. That's a hard call. Now, we don't see it here, but we read about it in the New Testament. The, the book of Hebrews tells us about Abraham. And it lets us know that at this point in his walk with God, his faith was such, he saw God come through for him in the impossible, that even when God gave Abraham this it said that Abraham's faith was such that he knew that even if he had to sacrifice Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead. That God knew, uh, Abraham knew God was good to his word, even if he didn't know how. And so God prepared Abraham for this test. But it still was a hard test. And that's why I find the next verse so inspiring and challenging. For it says in verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He didn't dilly-dally. He heard God. He trusted God. And he acted. I don't know about you, but there are often times in my life where I hear God and then I like to pretend I didn't hear God. Right? I'm like, Lord, I'm so going to obey you just a few more minutes right after I get this task done, and maybe this task, and then maybe after a while I'll just forget what you're asking me to do, and then, oops, I forgot. Am I the only one? Early next morning, when God calls, he calls, and power resides in his call. 
And so early the next morning, as difficult and as hard as this is, Abraham got up, wasted no time. And so he took with him the two of his servants and his son Isaac. And it says, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And then on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw this place in the distance. And we can read that so quickly. But let's not forget, this is a centenarian we're talking about. He spent three days walking through. And those of us who went to Israel and those who are going to go next year, you'll see it's a hilly, steep, arduous walk. God asked him to sacrifice his son, but not even an easy way. He had to go three days journey. That's a lot of time to start justifying in your mind why you shouldn't do this. Three days. But after three days, he arrives. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and get this, and then we will come back to you. How could Abraham say this? He knew that he was going to the mountain, not only to slay his son, but to burn him as an offering. Well, again, he knew that God was somehow going to be faithful to his promise. He didn't know how. It made no sense in human terms how you can kill a person, burn them, and then have them still have children for you. But he knew God was going to keep his word, even if it was beyond his understanding. And so with confidence, he says, we'll be back. We're going to worship. God's going to do something, and we'll be back. And so Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And you know, Isaac at this point is thinking, my dad's old. You know? may have forgot something important. Sometimes old people do that. And he was being kind for the whole three days. And I'm sure it was just kind of like, okay, dad. He had no idea what laid before him. And how difficult it would have been for Isaac to, to, to just trust Abraham in all of this when it seemed like Abraham didn't even have all of his ducks in a row. And how much harder for Abraham to be able to tell Isaac, well, he says, God himself will provide the, the burnt offering, my son. How hard would that be? Knowing what God had called him to do, but still trusting in God's promise. And I imagine the whole way talking to God saying, all right, I've come this far, right? This is good enough, isn't it? Right? I've trusted you. I followed you all of these years. You gave me this promise. Okay, I played your game. Now we're on the mountain. How about giving me the lamb? But God didn't. And so Abraham, uh, he got there. He reached the place where God told him about. In verse 9, it says, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And that's hard work to do something he didn't want to do. But God had called him to it. And then he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And that's when it gets real. Up until this point, he had, there was always a point that he could turn back, wasn't there? 
a point at which he thought maybe God will come through. Maybe God's timing is that he's just testing me in this. But it comes to the point he's got to, to tie his, his son up and lays him on top of the wood. And then it says he takes out the knife, grabs the blade to slay his son. The point of no return. Isaac was as good as dead. And sometimes God, he doesn't answer in a time or a way that we understand. And at this moment, Abraham's faith could have weaned. He could have said no. But he had proven that he had trusted God, even when God didn't make sense. He heard God. He trusted him to do the impossible. And whatever the action, he was going to be faithful. And then it says, verse 11, such a great verse. But the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide and to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. You want to see God's provision and power in your life? We've got to go to the mountain of the Lord. We have to be willing to follow God and to say, what is it you want from me? And then trust him as difficult and as hard as sometimes it may be. To trust that God can work beyond our understanding. And I would say this is probably one of the hardest passages in all of Scripture. When I read it and I was an early Christian, I got mad at God for this. I was like, how dare you, God? That just seems mean. You're playing with this guy's emotions in his head. That's just so cruel. What I didn't realize is that, one, he called Abraham, not me to go do that. He prepared Abraham for this test his entire life. Abraham had seen the faithfulness of God to do the impossible. He didn't call Abraham to sacrifice his son on day one. He, after he had walked in faithfulness and Abraham was ready, he trusted God. The other thing I recognize in this is that Abraham was not asked to do anything that God himself was not willing to do. That on that hill, thousands of years later, Abraham could never have known that God himself would be there and would be the sacrifice and would pay the penalty not only for our sins, but even Abraham's himself. Abraham had no concept of that. God didn't explain this to him. God didn't need to. But in this, God sets an example. He says to Abraham, I'm asking this as people, Abraham as being the representation for all of us. Will you be willing to trust me to sacrifice even your only son? And because Abraham was, we receive the blessing today. I think it's amazing. In fact, it says, verse 15, the Lord, the angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven and said a second time and said, Abraham, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. And your descendants will take possession of cities of their enemies. And through their offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. 
God had in mind to do a powerful work, something that today still affects us, still blesses us. Because Abraham was faithful enough to trust God, to hear him and to trust him and to obey, to go through the long journey, to trust him, to be patient all of those days, to depend upon God, to do what only God could do, and to not turn away. We are blessed today that God was willing to bring himself, his own son, to die on behalf of all of our sins so that we could be reconciled. That salvation doesn't just stop with one nation, but has been proclaimed to every corner of the globe. And we testified to it just a few minutes ago with communion. We are deeply and eternally blessed. And it started with the faithfulness of this one man. Abraham's faith crossed the finish line, but it was powerful every step of the way. When I say from this story, there are three observations about faith, powerful faith, and how it is activated, how it works, that that we're going to highlight, because we need to have that kind of faith in, in our life. And the first thing we see in Abraham's life, how faith works, is powerful faith worships God. We spent an entire year this last year talking about worship, and I had no idea two years ago when we prepared for this message what God was going to do in that for us. And you'll, for those of the members, as we go through our members meeting, you're going to see how crazy cool it is, how everything really centers on worship, how God has prepared us for what He called us to by making us a worshipful people. But just right now, to recognize that God's power resides in right worship. And what is worship? Well, you've heard me say an entire year, worship was whatever our life revolves around. It's like the earth worships the sun. Whatever your life revolves around is what you worship. Some people are self-centered. And their whole life revolves around what they want. We call them narcissists and they're frustrating, aren't they? And their lives spin out of control. Some people are success-centered or family-centered or maybe they're comfort-centered or they're uh, beauty-centered or who knows. I mean, there's a lot of ways that we can worship. There's a lot of idols out there. But there is nothing in this world that has the gravity to hold our lives together like God, which is the amazing thing that God invites us to center our life on Him. That is worship. And this is precisely what Abraham did. Every part of Abraham's life was centered on God. Think about it. He had a comfortable life. He didn't need anything else. He was near the end of his life, all those kind of things. And he could have just been fine. But God said, no, I want you to sell everything. Go to a place I'm going to show you. And trust me, I'm going to give you a kid with your barren wife. And take a new name. Oh, yeah, and be circumcised. There's a lot of faith going in that. And Abraham said, okay, God, whatever it is, you take priority. And so he worshiped God with his time for for decades, just trusting him, worshiping him with his time, with his abilities. We don't know what Abraham did before he left, but I know that he was a really good businessman as he moved into the promised land. I mean, he took a few camels and goats and, and sheep and built a crazy huge business, big enough he had his own army. He used his 
He didn't just go there and say, God, I just, you owe me this. I'm here, I'm in the land. No, he worked hard. And he used his talents for the glory of God. And his treasure. He withheld nothing from God. Yes, we read the story about how he brought the tithe to Melchizedek and gave God a tenth. Such a good example for us in faith. But he didn't withhold anything from God, even his own son. God was at the center of everything in his life. And because of that, we're not surprised to see that in this place of worship, we see God work powerfully in Abraham's life. The amazing thing is God doesn't just stop working with Abraham. Throughout the scriptures, replete of God working in the lives of ordinary people like you and me. But every time he works powerfully, it starts with a person who is living their life centered on God. If we want to see God work powerfully here today, we need to start by worshiping him in spirit and in truth, not just with our thoughts, not just with our words, but with our lives centering them on Christ. The second thing that we find is so powerful faith. It doesn't just reside in that sphere of worship, but it also powerful faith obeys God. It does what God wants. It stops asking God to do what I want. It gets the order correct. God is never going to bless you if you are living in rebellion to him. And he's never going to bless you if you're asking God to worship you. The power of God resides in the will of God. And so when God asks us to move, we can trust that it's good. Can we trust that God has your best interest at heart? This same God who saves us from our sins, who came to earth on our behalf, who became one of us, though he didn't need to, who died on a cross for our sins, who didn't just save us, but gifted us with his Holy Spirit and gifts on top of that has given us his presence from this point on, who is right now building an awesome place for us. And we'll come back to bring us there. Do you think this God may have a good track record to say, I can trust you that you have my best interests at heart? Yeah. Yeah, he's a pretty good God. But he tells us to do things. Sometimes we don't like them. Like Abraham, it may seem like it's there just to hurt us. But God's desires are always good. And so when God calls us, we need to trust him, not just in his power to do something, but in his love for us in the process. And so it's in our best interest to just obey, to say, God, I'm going to trust you. And every time we see God do something amazing in Scripture, and Amy and I in our own personal lives, It has been not just when we centered our life around God, but when we heard what he'd asked us to do and we said, yes, we're just going to do what he asked us to do early in the morning to get up and to do it. And as we do that, we find that the last portion, the third thing that we find is powerful faith also exists when we love God. You know that you can center your life on God religiously, You can do all the religious things, right? You could be at church all the time and tithe perfectly and and have a great ministry and do all that kind of stuff. You could do all of that. 
but you can fail to love God? That you could do everything but be far from Him in your heart? And that Jesus didn't come to make us slaves. That's not why He came. I mean, God could just create slaves if He wanted to, just breathe it out. He came that we might be reconciled to Him, be called His children, His sons and daughters. He wants relationship. He wants us to know Him and for Him to know us. He wants us to have a right and a good relationship. God will never empower things that draw your heart further from Him. And so our hearts need to be drawn to Him. And obviously one of those ways that our hearts are drawn to Him is through obedience. Jesus talks about it this way. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my Father will love them and we will come to them and will make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. The level of your willingness to obey Christ is really the level of your love for God in action, which is what obedience truly is to God. It's your love in action. It's saying to God, I trust you. So what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. I'm just kidding. (laughs) What is love? Love is choosing another's good above your own. That's what it is. It says we know what love is because Christ first loved us and laid down his life for us. Love at its very core is selflessness. It's when I choose you above me is when I truly have love. That's why legalism doesn't work. I'm still choosing me first. I'm trying to appease you so I can get what I want. But at its heart, love says, I choose you. No matter what it takes, I choose you above me. That's why Jesus said, Love's, there's no other greater love than this than a man who lays his life down for his friend. And then Jesus proceeds to lay his life down for us. That God loves us in such a pure and perfect love. He chose us above himself and continues to do so. I mean, be honest with yourself. Every single week, the fact that God doesn't just slap you and just go back to heaven, right? You're like me. Like, it just astonishes me every single day. He knows me, and he doesn't just, like, crush me like a bug, right? Like, I, I try to do good, but then sometimes I kind of am naughty, and I'm selfish. And I'm like, God, I know this is what you want, but I don't want that. But he contis- consistently, continually chooses me and my good. His promise has never been withdrawn from me. His presence has never left. His kindness and His goodness and His mercy, they dwell with me. But He says, I want this to be a right relationship. He loves you. Now He's asking you to love Him. To seek His will, His desires, His good above your own. And in that way, when we choose somebody else above ourselves, we lay our life down for them, we recognize that love at its very core is not just selflessness, it's sacrifice. Which is why in Luke 9, Jesus says, Jesus said to them all, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. What a picture of sacrifice. I mean, he laid himself down on the cross. But then he says to you and me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be in this relationship, it's going to require sacrifice. And he's straight up about it. And we have to put ourselves on the cross, not just once, but every day. 
To say, God, it is your desire for me, not mine, that I want. It's what your kingdom, your righteousness, that's what I seek above all else. When I'm seeking you, I learn to love you. And so we need to learn to seek God and what he wants, trusting that he loves us first and best and most. But when my desires are in conflict to God's, guess who goes to the cross? And that's where we have to begin. And so it's not a surprise then when Paul talks about this amazing love and faith, right? In this amazing passage in the New Testament where it's read almost every single wedding about love and the power of love and all these types of things about what love is and about faith and how powerful faith is and all the good things that faith has. When Paul is discussing these things, he says, you know what? You can have a really amazing faith, a faith that can move mountains, a faith that can do all these other things. But look what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. God's not just looking for you to be like, I just, by the sheer will of my faith and trust in God, but I hate him for it. (laughs) No, no, we have to love him. Love him first. In fact, that's why Jesus said, you know what? The greatest of all the commandments is to love God with everything we have, with everything we are, with our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, everything. As an expression of that, to love other people at least as much as we love ourselves. That if we have this kind of love, well, then that faith that can move mountains becomes super powerful because we'll be right in where the heart of God is. And why would we delude ourselves with thinking God's going to work outside of his will? So a powerful faith is one that trusts in God, that asks him to work and trusts that he will. And so... I say if we look at this, a powerful faith at its very core, its heart is this. It re- powerful faith requires sacrifice. And that's why most Americans and most Christians around the world fail to ever experience truly revolutionary, powerful faith in their life. We're so accustomed to coming and taking communion and accepting the sacrifice of Christ that we never respond back. We want it to be an unhealthy, one-sided relationship where God just loves us and we can just walk all over him. But God's not into a sick relationship like that. Powerful faith happens when we are willing to sacrifice. Look at Abraham. What was he willing to sacrifice? Not just his son, but every promise that he based his entire life on. He's willing to lay himself down because he trusted God. He sought God's desires above his own, and because of that, we're still experiencing the blessing. Every example of powerful faith in Scripture starts when we're willing to make the sacrifice. Abraham, before he sacrificed Isaac, what did he have to do? Sacrifice his comfort, his home. He had to sacrifice his good name when people would make fun of him and said, you're going to have a baby with her? She's old. Sacrifice His comfort when he received a new name, even though he had not had a child yet. He was willing to make the sacrifice over and over and over and over again. And God was at work over and over and over and over again. If we want to see God work powerfully in our lives, let's not think that it's going to happen when our comfort. 
If you want to see God work in your life, it's mean you're going to have to lay yourself down. You're going to have to, to put things to death that you hold dear. You're going to have to do it. But on the other side is something far greater. It's like we, I don't know, we sacrifice a hamburger, but God's got a beautiful steak dinner for us. Right? We sacrifice the Volkswagen bug, and God's got a Lexus. Right? We sacrifice the little thing. We lay down the tiny shriveled up, lousy bit that we hold to so dear, and then God gifts us with the riches of heaven. But you're going to have to make the sacrifice. So for some of us, it's sacrificing our comfort and and difficult relationships. Sometimes it's the sacrifice of forgiving people that we don't want to forgive. Sometimes it's the sacrifice of working hard when nobody else seems to care. Sometimes it's the sacrifice of just doing your part day after day after day through the drudge and just doing what's right. And not believing that you're ever going to see a way out. But I'll tell you this. You lay your life down for Christ. You get the power of his life in you. Mountains move. We live different. And this world could use a little different. And so, as our church, we've spent a year. We've been preparing ourselves for this. And in a few minutes, I'm going to wrap this up. And then we're going to have a fellowship meal. And the members, we're going to talk about what God has called us to. And God has called us something big, something powerful, something that is going to transform, move mountains. But it's going to require sacrifice, and we've got to be okay with that, knowing on the other side the promise resides. And then next week, we're going to talk about with everybody. We'll go through and finish this series about what God has called us to. But as we begin, let's say, let's have a faith that's not just a light, fluffy faith. The world doesn't need that anymore. The world needs Jesus. The world needs the Holy Spirit to move. The world needs hope. The world needs life. The world needs light. The world needs God to do what we cannot. It requires God's power, which is going to require a kind of faith from us that maybe in the past we have not shown, but we can. And so I invite you to join us on this journey to see God do the impossible in our midst so that we can bring him a praise that everybody else in the world can only point to him for. Would you like that? Do you want to see God move? Well, let's begin with this then. If you have your connection, Carl, I want you to do is I want you to take your first steps, first steps of faith today. The backside, I have just a couple of small things that you can do. You can apply in your life to take steps of faith today to hear to say, God, this is what I know what you want from me, and I'm going to trust you just enough to do something. And I've tried to make these easy, small steps, good things on the backside, the first thing I would challenge you to do is why don't you memorize Matthew 17, 20? Are you tired of small living? Going to mohills that you know you can move and then moving them under your own might and being like, wow, God is good? Do you want to see mountains move? Do you want to see impossible become reality? This is the promise of God. Truly, Jesus says, I tell you, if you say to this mountain, move from here to there, it will move. Nothing will be impossible. Let the verse and the truth of God empower us to do the will of God. Maybe this week, this is what you spend time with. You say, I'm going to set this to my heart. Or how about this? Maybe you want to be here next Sunday. You want to see what we're going to, what we're going to go after? Be here. It makes it a lot easier meeting every one of you independently. Also, maybe what you need to do is say yes to a say yes ministry. You're going to invest your abilities in serving God. You're going to worship God with your talents. 
And if you don't know where to worship or where to how to do that, we've got a whole bunch of opportunities on that Say Yes ministry board that we would love to direct you towards. And if you still don't know, um, Praise Place. Praise Place needs bodies. So I'll put you there. But there's a place for you to say yes and to start worshiping. How about this? Maybe you want to take the, the four-month tithe challenge. We'll talk about this a little bit more but later on. But, you know, maybe today you say, you know what? God, I am going to rise up early in the morning. I'm going to not withhold anything from you. And that would take us from here till summer. And if you want to do that, then I know that this is something that a lot of our families, several dozen of our families did earlier in the year. And it's been amazing to see what God has done in the lives of those who did it. If you'd like to trust God with that, let me know because it will be hard. And I want to be able to support you along the way. And there's some tools and some things like that that I can support you with. So let me know there. If there's another commitment you need to make, let me know that. If you have a prayer request, write it down because we do pray for you every week. And if I know how to pray for you, all the more. In fact, the last two months have been so crazy cool. Every single week, somebody we've been praying for has had an answered prayer. And they come to me and are like, Pastor Aaron, this happened. I can't believe it happened. I'm like, I know, God is good. And today I too. Like, it's not always like that. But I'll tell you, tell me what to pray. Let's go with it. It's hot, right? So let's pray. <laughs> Write it down. <laughs> let's us pray with you and let God work. And here in a minute, we're going to take our offering. And to do, take these connection cards, drop them in the offering basket with your tithes and your gifts your worshipful acts of obedience to Christ. All right, let me pray a blessing over you, and then uh, we'll let Zach and the worship team come out and uh, close this time with some great worship. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for you and your power and your goodness and your faithfulness and your presence and your purpose for us, that at the very dawn of creation, your word tells us that you knew each one of us by name. And this meeting together today was not outside of, of your knowledge. Father, that you've called us here, not that we would walk far from you, but Father, that we would walk closer to you. So Lord, I pray that you would bless us in this time, that we would come closer to you and to your heart. Help us to love you in a more true and a deeper way, to obey you with a great fullness and, and, and joy, Father, as we, Father, as we seek you. Lord, I pray, Father, for each one of those that are here today that we would take these connection cards and our steps of faithfulness, that you would, that we bring these to you, that they wouldn't just be acts of work, but, Father, an expression of a love and obedience to you, a willingness to say, yes, Lord, next step we're willing to take. Father, with our tithes and our offerings, our willingness to worship you with our things, I ask that you would take that worship and use it and bless it to build your kingdom, not just in this community, but in us that we could see you and your truth and your power more alive in our lives today. And Father, this next few minutes as we clear out and we have our, our time together as a fellowship, would you join us in that? Lord, would we have the great presence of, the, of your Holy Spirit and may our fellowship to you be a wonderful thing, pleasing and good. Lord, we lift all these things to you in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.